for listening to our podcast, recorded live at Gateway Church Ashford. You can find out more about us on our website, gatewaychurchashford.co.uk. If you'd like to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7, we're continuing in our series on the Sermon on the Mount. We're drawing towards the close of it. We have one more next week. But I wonder, as we have been going through the series, whether you have been captivated afresh by the Sermon on the Mount. Certainly I have as I've been reading it and studying it afresh and and just thinking over it and praying over it. I wonder, has it grabbed your attention uh, in some new way? Uh, That would be my prayer. I I think it's one of those scriptures that you can take away and you can spend a lot of time on. Um, It's Jesus' discipleship program for those in the kingdom. And so by reading it, rereading it, praying over it, reflecting on it, Um, it can make a huge impact uh, upon our lives. And uh, in reading and studying the Sermon on the Mount, I'm convinced if we are to respond to its message, we need a a, a much bigger, uh, a more engaging, a more captivating view of Jesus Christ. Otherwise, what happens is this becomes simply another version of the Ten Commandments. We look at it and we say, well, it seems to me to be a, a lot of don'ts and a lot of do's, and and we kind of get into that mentality where we think this is what Jesus is saying, and that is not what he is saying at all. And so I I really believe that if we are to make progress, we we have to have a a captivating view of Jesus. And without a captivating view of Jesus, we will not effectively hear what he says and will not be effectively empowered to, to serve him as he calls us to. And so unless we have this bigger vision of him, we will never be fully his disciples. And so the Sermon on the Mount, it calls us to to radical discipleship through radical obedience that comes by radical devotion to Jesus Christ. And I think that's the important thing right at the beginning of this message. I want to reiterate again this radical devotion to Jesus, this sense of seeing him as everything, as seeing him as the all in all. The sermon isn't about, as someone has said, sin management, but it's about transformation, how we are transformed through really encountering Jesus, knowing the Father's love and knowing the power of the Holy Spirit in our daily lives. And there's a a very real danger when we hear the words, but we don't encounter the person who who spoke them. We just get into kind of a Christianese way of doing things. We get into a religious way of doing things. And one of the things I want to commend to you this morning is to have a fresh look of Jesus. I mean, Jesus was absolutely brilliant. He really, really was. But too frequently, holy people are seen to be as unlearned and they learned as unholy. Uh, He wasn't some dreamy-eyed prophet, a religious idealist, a a spiritual guru. He wasn't just nice or good. He was indeed the smartest, wisest, most intelligent and most brilliant person you could have ever met and who has ever lived. And I think to have that soul uh, in, in... Soul-captivating view of Jesus changes the way we, we, we look at him and we listen to him and we respond to him. And uh, that makes all the difference to hearing what he has to say. And I, I want to ask you this morning, do you know him? Do you know him in that way? Is he somebody who has really captivated your soul? I remember as a young Christian, uh, when I became a, a Christian many, many years ago, there was an old hymn that we used to sing, and it, was, it said this, "'All that thrills my soul is Jesus.'" He is more than life to me, the fairest of 10,000 in my blessed Lord I see. And 
And there are, I have to be honest and say there are times where I lost sight of him. There are times when I got so focused in, in myself or in the problems around me uh, uh, that I, I lost sight of Jesus. And when I lost sight of him, I lost sight of the joy. I lost, sight, lost that sense of power and energy and so on. And, and at that sense, it may be you this morning need to have that love rekindled, that passion rekindled in your heart and life towards Jesus Christ, so that you see him afresh and are, are captivated by him. The scripture that we're looking at this morning is probably one of the most misunderstood in the whole of the Bible, and, and it's usually used in defense. So let's go and just read the scripture, and hopefully it's going to come up on the screen, and we can read it together as we go through. So chapter 7 and verses 1 to 12 in Matthew's gospel. Don't judge others, and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard that you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own eye? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye, and when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Own eye. Hypocrite! Get, first get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see it well enough to deal with a speck in your friend's eye. Don't waste what is holy on people who are unholy. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. They will trample the pearls and then turn and attack you. Keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives and everyone who seeks finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Your, par your parents, if you children ask for a, your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Or, of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? Do to others whatever you would like them do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and in the prophets. Now, those early verses there, we, we very often, as I say, use them, and they're very often used perhaps in the wrong way. And people will throw them back at you and so, as much as say, well, you know, um, who are you to judge me? You, you just don't understand my situation. So therefore, how can you pass those judgments on me? We are all sinners, and, and we shouldn't be judging one another. And that's how that scripture gets abused. We, we use it to our own ends, to defend our position, and that's not how Jesus intended it to be. Uh, as I said last time when I was speaking, it's always a there's always a danger in treating verses in isolation, and very often these scriptures here get separated out, and we, we preach off, say, verse 1 or verse 6 or, or verse 12, and we, we preach you know, grand messages off those, but actually they, they belong together. Verses 1 to 12 belong together as a unit in Jesus' sermon on the mount. And verse 1, uh, do not judge others and you will not judge, forms the bookend at one place, and verse 12 forms the bookend at the other end, do to others what you would like them do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and in the prophets. So it's important that we realize that, because otherwise we will miss what Jesus is saying here, and we will go off at tangents which Jesus didn't expect in this particular part of his message. So Jesus was building his message. He's, he's developing, he's unpacking to them his discipleship strategy. And he begins, first of all, in the sermon as a reminder, as an open invitation to the blessings. 
calling people into the kingdom. They are in all of these various states. And he says, blessed are you if you're in one of these situations. Blessed are you. You're welcome in the kingdom. You're welcome to come under my reign and under my blessing. Then he speaks of a a different radical kind of righteousness and what fulfilling the law looks like in daily life. He, He wasn't for one moment saying to them, look, it doesn't matter how you live. He wasn't offering them cheap grace, as Bonhoeffer calls it. He, was, he begins to unpack to them this radical kind of righteousness and what fulfilling the law would really look like in daily life for kingdom people. And so it moves us from, from burning anger and obsessive desires to, to living by agape or divine love. It, it, it takes us to the goodness that goes beyond. Let's be honest, there are people out in the world who do good things. They live relatively good lives. But the call in the sermon is a goodness that goes beyond. That is true love. It goes beyond what we, what we can do for those that we like and, and takes us to those that perhaps wouldn't normally come within our environments or in our thoughts. And so it moves us from burning anger, obsessive desires, to, to living by this new love, this agape love, this, this family love that is found in the heart of the Father and leads us to a goodness that goes beyond. Then, then in chapter 6 we get some warnings about uh, different practices and attitudes that will give us false security and deflect us from living as kingdom people, where we end up dependent on our religious and our moral reputation or on material goods and wealth. And so Jesus is, is building his strategy, and then you come to chapter 7, and it's about trying to control others through condemnation. Uh, rather than exercising true family love. It's about being generous and praying for them. It's about really standing with them and and, and working alongside them. Effectively, Jesus is answering in in the Sermon on the Mount the two biggest questions that we find out there in the world, the two big life questions. What is the good life? Because in reality, most people don't want to live a bad life. Most people want to know what the good life is. What is a good life? And what constitutes a truly good person? And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus answers those questions. But perhaps not in the way that they were expecting. So then there is a a sequential order, a structure to this sermon, to kingdom life. The one building on the other. And if if we do not know, for example, that we are loved and accepted and blessed, if we don't know that first base, we will not be able to deal with the anger and the obsessive desires that we can find cropping up in our lives. If we have been through that process and and know the love of the Father, are secure in our identity, then we will no longer need to to be promoting ourselves or, or, or by reputation or by wealth in whatever form. And so in, in Chapter 6, verses one, in chapter 7, just verses 1 to 12, Jesus isn't advocating a moral free-for-all, which is how people kind of take this. Actually, you know, we're not supposed to condemn one another. We're not supposed to judge one another. So don't you ever pass judgment on me. I, you know, I'm just doing the best I possibly can. Jesus certainly wasn't advocating a moral free-for-all where no judgments can be made, where no one can be held to account. Elsewhere, we see both Jesus and and the other writers of the New Testament making it clear that there is a time and a place to make judgment. But in all of those instances, it's about being sure who we are when we make those judgments and the motivations that are are behind us when we make such judgments. And that is the concern that Jesus has here. And he calls them hypocrites in this particular place. So Jesus was once again turning on the, on the self-righteous of people who thought they'd got the good life together. 
He was turning on the Pharisees, uh, uh, those who were hypocritical. And he said, look, you guys, you've got a massive beam in your own eye, and you're trying to take a little speck out of your brother's eye. He says, that's totally ridiculous. And I, I love the way Jesus paints those kind, of, those kind of pictures. Can you imagine them walking around with a massive great plank in their eye and, 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 and trying to deal with this person over here who's got this tiny little speck in her, and I'm trying to get that little speck out, but I've got this big plank in my eye. Right, Jesus is trying to get a point across. Those who were, so the, the, these were hypocritical. They were, they were self-righteous. They were quick to point out the faults and the failings of others as, as a means to have power over them and to control them. But they were quite happy to ignore their own. And we've already seen that a couple of weeks ago in, in reference to the, the part on, on, on giving and, and praying and fasting. Judgments are something that we, we make all the time. The question is, what is our manner of judgment? How, how do we make them? Uh, and should we be doing so even? Is it our right even to make such judgments? So let's just take a, a closer look, shall we, at this particular portion. In this section, Jesus returns to the, the theme of love and the dynamics of relationship, which runs through the whole of the Sermon on the Mount. This isn't a religious exercise. This is a relational life that he is calling them to. And note the golden rule summary in verse 12. Do to others whatever, whatever you would like them do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. That is the essence of love. To do unto others what you would like them to do to you. When you make those comments, is that really what you would like them do to you? When you act in that way toward them, is that really what you would like them do to you? So he's calling them to this highway of love. And in verses 1 to 6, Jesus addresses something that goes on wherever fallen humanity is found, this, this tendency to, to judge and therefore to control one another. A bit more on that in just, just a minute. In verses 7 to 12, then Jesus shows us a better way of living, a better way of working out the particular situations that we find ourselves in, where perhaps we, we feel inclined to and we want to to lord it over others by exercising judgments and bringing people into condemnation. So in verses 1 to 6, we, where Jesus addresses something that goes on wherever humanity is found, that that desire to, to be one up, that desire to, to seek to control those around us by, by blaming them, by condemning them, and imposing our solutions on them. That is not relationship. That is, that is lordship. That is, one is lord and the other is lower. And that is not what the kingdom is all about. Jesus said, you, you know, the Gentiles have that kind of way of behavior, but that is not the way of behavior that should exist within the kingdom of God. That is, that is lording over, over them. It's acting superior to them, which is not the way of the kingdom. It's not the way of the Father's family. And we, we think of, you know, one of those things that we hold dear here, that, that, that aspect of honoring one another. It undermines the honor of one another. The moment I stand over you and speak down to you and act in judgment upon you, I am not honoring you. And neither is anybody else if they behave in that way towards you. We want in the, in the church a culture of honor. We believe that is biblical and we believe that is something that we ever have to be working towards. And, and Jesus says here that don't do this because in the measure that you judge, you also will be judged. Blaming and condemning leads to corresponding counterattacks. If you've ever been involved in it, you will know that that is the case. 
When you start blaming somebody, there is a blame game that comes back. There's, there's the counteract, uh, counterattack. There is that sense of reciprocity that, that goes on within it. And, and um, so, it and that, that, that doesn't help relationship. It leads to isolation. It leads to exclusion. Condemnation actually goes to, to the very heart of us like a, a knife to the very core of our being. I've experienced it. I'm sure that you have experienced it. When somebody has said something and, and suddenly it's, it's, it's like it's pierced your very soul. And it, if we find it difficult to, to counterattack, it can work itself out in other, other ways. In other words, it can be buried. And then it manifests itself in different forms. It, it can manifest in perfectionism, uh, a passive-aggressive behavior. Uh, it can manifest itself in just sheer tardiness about life and responsibilities. It can manifest itself in procrastination. It can manifest itself in problems with authority. So, you see, this is a very important subject. Jesus is dealing with something that goes on in people's lives day by day. He's dealing with something that, that causes them to lack honor for one another. He's dealing with something that causes them to end up with, with a, a, a sword in their own soul and piercing others as well. And it's important that we, we realize that. You know, it happens between husbands and wives, for example. When, we, when, we, when one... It, one kind of type tries to take the higher ground and speaks down to the other. It happens in, in, in parents and with children where, where the parents take on an authoritarian attitude and, and try to lay law on their kids and, and, and the kids end up with a, a reciprocal action, that counterattack where they, they find something in us to judge and to condemn us with. And, and so we, we don't know the fullness of, of life as God intends it to be. It can happen too also in the workplace where between colleagues, the way we, we get on with them or we don't get on with them, we find areas in which to, to judge them, to condemn them, to pull them down. Important. Might be good just to stop and think for a moment is how am I treating my wife? How am I treating my husband? How do I, how do I talk to them? How am I treating my children? Am I, am I quick to judge? Am I quick to condemn? Am I quick to lay the law on? Do I feel the bounce back of the counterattack? And if, if that's what we're feeling, then we know something wrong is going on. Because that is not how God intended it to be. In verses 7 to 12, Jesus shows us this better way, which we might title the way of prayerful request. That, that of asking and, and seeking and knocking, as one scholar puts it, it's, it's language that describes a lifestyle of focusing on and doing God's purposes. So he's turning us from this focus on others to, to God the Father as the, the source of stability in all of our relationships. In verse 12, uh, the therefore looks back you know, do to others what you would like them do unto you. So he, he looks back, and uh, as I say, you may have a version there that doesn't have it, but some versions do. Therefore, it builds on. Do to others what you would have them do to you. So Jesus is, is asking that they, they treat others like they would treat themselves. They think of others in the same way and on the same level that they would think of themselves. 
So he shows us this better way. And it's the way of prayerful love. And it, usually when we look at these verses, we just kind of dive straight in and we, we look at them and we think it's, it's just about praying to the Father. But actually there's, there's petitioning here that goes on in the family. And so what he's talking about is, is bringing us to a level where we, we make requests of one another. Where we don't talk down at one another, but we live on the same relationship and we make requests of one another. We make appeal to one another. And so you keep on asking and you receive what you ask for. You keep on seeking and you will find. You keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. Because everyone who asks receives and everyone who seeks will find. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. This belongs to what goes before it. And if there's something that we, we need to be doing, it is, it is praying for one another. Do I pray for the person that I'm just about or have condemned? Or am I more willing to act, you know, in that, in that role of God over them where I, it's as if I see and I know and I understand and I bring judgment on them? That is not the way of the, the body of Christ. It is not the way of the kingdom of God. And so we're called to stand at the same level. We're called to, to love one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. We're called not to stand over one another, but to stand with one another, to pray for one another, to, to make an appeal to one another. Quite a different way of being. So this whole aspect of the law and the prophets, it's, it's love, this love that goes beyond. True love then does not condemn or blame those around us, as verses 1 to 5 point out. Condemnation breeds condemnation. It, it simply doesn't resolve anything. It just goes round and round in circles. Judgment is reciprocal. With the measure that we judge, so it will come back to us. It's a principle of life. Uh, true love doesn't force things on them. It doesn't give us an excuse to, to view some people as, as pigs or dogs and reject them. And, and, I, and I think traditionally these, this verse has been turned round the wrong way. Jesus wasn't giving us the right to view some parts of humanity as pigs or dogs and therefore to, to turn away from and, and not, not give them the, the gospel or whatever it is that is referenced in these passages. The, the reality here is it's about what we're giving them. And so he says, do not you know, cast, your pigs uh, cast your pearls before swine. It's the fact that pearls are no good for pigs. Did you understand me? It's, it's about the fact they can't digest that. It's about the fact that it's no good for them. It's, and this, again, is this whole business of, like, I'm over you, I know what's good for you, and you're going to take this, and I'm going to ram it down your throat. And, and the problem is, you can't digest it. And so Jesus is talking about that healthy love and care that we have for one another, that sees one another grow and mature in Christ and become all that we are called to be and serve him in the ways that he calls us to. So it's not about judging other people as dogs or swine, as perhaps has sometimes been interpreted. It's about actually, am, is, is what I'm about to share with them actually right for them at this moment in time? Is it, is it good food? Is, is it helpful? Will it do them good? Will it build them up or will it pull them down? Will it edify or will it discourage? Will it help them on the road or will it cause them to, to veer off in some way or other? Let's be honest, sometimes we, we've done that where we've tried to lay things on people and, and they've got sick and tired of the way things we've, lay, we've, we've laid things on them. And, and, and so particularly young people, uh, they then veer off when they get the chance and they leave Christianity behind because they didn't get the right stuff right at the very beginning in the early days. 
So it's not forcing things on them. It's about treating them rightly and feeding them that which is digestible. And uh, so we're called to simply ask. We're called to pray. We're called to, to seek God's face. And so it, he goes on. You, you parents, if your children ask for a loaf or a bread, do you give them a stone instead? If they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how much to give, how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? So all the time he's, he's rooting us back in this Father relationship, this, the Father heart of God. And that is important for us to realize. And to think of how we might apply this. Um, have, you, uh, have you been carrying superiority towards someone? Maybe towards your spouse, your husband, your wife. Have you been lording it over your children? Have you been acting the hypocrite so that actually it's thrown back at you? Ah, but you do. Have you been acting the hypocrite? Jesus doesn't want to unmask those things to, to destroy us, but to build us, to grow us, to mature us, to, to bring us into the fullness of life. Because Jesus said, I'm come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. I've been there. I know what it's like. I still find essence of it within me still because I still carry fallenness with me. There's a tendency in each of us to, ah, you know, want to act superior, want to act as a judge, when I don't always know the circumstances. And when we get to feel like that, it's always good just to stop and realize that God knows everything about me anyway. You know, he loves me. He saved me. He forgives me. He cleanses me. He renews me. Have you been the subject of judgment or condemnation? Maybe you're here this morning and you've been on the receiving end of it and you just need to, to come to God and deal with it. You can't deal with the person who's judging you, but you can deal with your response to it. It may be that you need to, to deal with that and come into a place before you go out this morning where you can go out in strength rather than beaten up. Have you been caught in its cycle, giving what you get? There's an opportunity this morning to say, God, I've been doing this wrong in my marriage. I've been doing this wrong in my family. My attitude towards my employer or my uh, fellow employee has been wrong. And I, I just want an end to this cycle. And I just come to you fresh this morning. Maybe you're one of those who has buried it and, and it's working itself out in, you, in your, your inner self, in, a, in, a, in perfectionism, in tardiness, in rebellion. And you just need to come to a place where you acknowledge that. And let God deal with it. Let his Holy Spirit come to you. So why not deal with it this morning? Jesus didn't say these things to put people down, but to lift them up into new realms of life. And today is a day of opportunity. Today it's an opportunity of, of grace and mercy and goodness and kindness. So let's just stand. I mean, there's an awful lot there, and I, I have whizzed through that. And, and, and I just pray the Holy Spirit will just take what's necessary for each heart and life here this morning. Uh, that you uh, might know his, his love, that you might know his grace, that you might know his kindness this morning, and that you may be strengthened by the Holy Spirit to go and resolve some of those situations, that you might understand how to go about the way of change. 
God, I've been getting this wrong. I've been treating my wife, my husband wrong. God, I've, I've been treating my kids wrong. And, and I just want to come to you this morning. And I just, want to, I just want to get this right. Lord, just forgive me and help me to know uh, your wisdom and to go about this in a new way. Help me to honor my wife. Help me to honor my, my, my husband. Maybe your parents even. I nearly said father. Maybe your parents and, and, and your children. So, Father, we, we bless you for the dynamic of the word of God. We, we thank you, Jesus, for this amazing Sermon on the Mount. And uh, I just want to pray for any this morning who just really need to catch a, a fresh vision of you, Jesus, because without that, all of this just becomes words and so difficult and hard to grasp and work out in our lives. Just where, where we've lost that vision of you because of the, the burning issues of life, would you come and captivate our hearts again by your spirit? Would you cause us to fall in love with you again and see you as truly brilliant and amazing and wonderful and absolutely worth following in Jesus' name?